next generation and you give the high five that the police station so wanna wear blue. And pray on the people, come root the constitution. We're all men so equal. Beat down the poor and the working class core. You're a class freedom on the fucking rich man's whore. Cause there's a thin blue line between the love and the hate. If you sold truth across it, you're a Nazi for the state. You're injustice, we'll crush us the precious to few. So you wanna be a killer for the red, white, and blue. You're a bitch, you're a clown, cause you're always down. Nothing to attack when you become the sex. You're your own damn brother, you got no respect. But the killing won't stop when you become a god. Walk ahead and matter at it, ain't go on stop. It's enough to laugh on the way you feel we reach another battle. After every walk, you're in the rock and river, what's your detail? You got a picture from society and it's your will. Even the summer's a game, and this situation lies. You got the operand in a war when you take away your arms and others go fly. VHS cult. VHS cult. I'm Kyle. Pew! I'm Sean. Yeah, it's been a long time since we even said what our names are. Oh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> People listening to this podcast, it's, it's real mysterious. Uh, I lead the secret police of uh, the VHS cult. The Gestapo. I watched uh, three Joe Pesci movies this week. Joe Pesci? Joe Pesci, that's right. Uh, the Irishman, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, after Thanksgiving... We started putting on Christmas decorations, and we watched Home Alone one and two. You ever notice? So in the um first Home Alone, uh, we don't exactly know what their motivations are for like robbing houses, but presumably just getting re- money. Yes. Right, they're just regular ass burglars, you know, regular ass people. But then by the time you get to the second one, they're just like so unapologetically evil. <laughs> <laughs> they were robbing kids, a toy store <laughs> and like charities and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's what happens when you go to prison, you're radicalized. You go in for like a minor offense. Like, you know, maybe you had a little marijuana possession. And, you know, the next time you're going in, it's like for fucking armed robbery or some shit. Yeah, because you learn the skills you need to get caught doing robbery. So not, you don't get all the skills you need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, learning uh, about armed robbery from someone in prison, probably not the best idea. You want to learn from someone that didn't get caught. Yeah, but may, I'm the. I guess the hope is you meet someone in prison who got caught, but they know someone who didn't, and you just like meet them and get some tips. <laughs> you sort of been to prison. Well, uh, what did you learn? I was there for like a few days. For I was in Tent City, famous Tent City. I don't learn much, honestly. Just like as you'd expect, uh, CEOs are fucking dicks because they're cops. Um, they don't care about people, and they have even less rules than normal. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, it just it just sucks. And the people I was there with, Ten City, wasn't for like major crimes or anything. Everyone was there for like traffic violations, uh, like low level possession, DUI, driving without insurance, not paying child support, shit like that. So <laughs> of all of those, well, I guess DUI is pretty bad, but not paying child support is probably the worst one. The dude I hung out with the most there had been to prison before, though, for armed robbery. Hey. Yeah. But he's like, nah, I don't do that shit anymore. <laughs> he only um had to go to prison for like three or four years, I think. And I was like, that's all you got for armed robbery? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I guess it's not that bad. I could probably do four years. <laughs> My retirement plan at this point is to go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> I've been losing my mind this week i guess if you listen to last week's podcast you could tell it was, it was starting to slip because i was just rambling about the weirdest shit but I'm i don't know that. it's 
that's been my life with you for 35 years. Yeah. Well, 33. 33. Yeah. I wasn't alive for those first two. Yeah, I don't know. They just, were blissful. You know, just the, the, the feelings and life catching up to me. So, with that in mind, I decided to talk about Death Stranding again. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, I mean, it's still on my mind weeks after finishing it. Cause of like, I uh, honestly was prepared to talk about the Irishman today. Oh, we talk about that, too. Because the movie we watched is, I mean, there's not going to be much to talk about. It's the greatest Christmas movie, action Christmas movie of all time. I thought that was Die Hard. Fuck off. Die Hard is like such a dork meme, like, shit now. Yeah, well, it is. Low tier trash. Uh, It is better than Lethal Weapon. I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know. It is. I watched it last year. Uh, So, with regards to Death Stranding, um, I spoke about it hyperbolically. Last week is masterpiece. I still agree with it being a masterpiece. My initial complaints about it are still there too. Like there doesn't need to be small little cutscenes and animation for everything. Don't need to have everything overly explained. It suffers from being a video game a little bit, but still amazing. I did kind of go out of my way to like it just because I like Kojima so much, and I'm basically tired of normal video games in general because they don't do anything anymore. No one tries. And then in addition to that, I like confrontational art. And it can easily be said, like, the first half of Death Stranding is kind of confrontational with the player. I want I want a game that actually full-on is confrontational with the player. Just angry with you the first half of the game. Well, I, it's confrontational in within the confines of a video game. Because no, video games need to be fun. You've got to be having fun all the time. But does a video game need to be fun for it to be good? Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, here's a, um, art is not always fun, right? It's not always easy. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean, like, Schindler's List is not a fun movie. No. Um, and, and so I think if you honestly want to say that video games are art, then, yeah, there's going to be some games that aren't, aren't really, aren't really fun. Well, that's the thing is everyone wants to say video games are art or that video games but are going to transcend being but a game. Not, they're games. Yeah. For it to be able to do that, it needs, you got to kind of get over the hurdle of it just being a game. So that means it's not always going to be completely mechanically satisfying, you know, get the, like not everything has to be a Skinner box where you just get dopamine rewards all the time. And then, uh, I don't know a lot of criticisms about Kojima. It's got monster energy drink in it. And he advertises Norman Reedus's motorcycle show. <laughs> but like something like the, the gauche absurdity of things that Kojima does like mixed in with like, philosophical and narrative like musing that doesn't always align with like the more mainstream shown to you yeah that's for that like has particular resonance with me because i don't like i was saying like i don't know i have a weird grasp of reality and stuff myself so the two things juxtaposed like that has always been really satisfying to me and then so the general narrative the reason i think it's like 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 stuck its hooks into me and I keep thinking about it weeks later because I know a lot of people have been saying it was kind of disposable like they haven't gone back to I haven't gone back to play it again or anything but continue to think about the the purpose of the narrative the philosophical nature of the game and then that might just like I said it might be on on me specifically why it resonated with me more just because of like my history of depression and loneliness and then like alcoholism and addiction and then isolation caused by those things and from like general personality traits like i generally feel alienated 
and isolated from people a lot of the time anyways just because i am kind of weird i guess that's like the softest way of putting it <laughs> it might be mental illness i don't know <laughs> uh but yeah like so but then um i am also like desperate to, yeah i mean honestly you're not rich or successful enough to be considered weird yeah and it'd just be oh you poor mentally ill person but i am still like desperate to connect with people while enjoying solitude so the two aspects of the game of like the solitary nature of it but then it being about connecting with other people had like particular significance to me i don't know got like an affinity for marginalized people the downtrodden and things that are ultra i don't even this podcast right is so there's in the game you can tap the touchpad and if they're and like sam will call out if there's another player around you'll hear like a disembodied response from him. So it's like kind of like you're just yelling into the void, trying to find a connection in the middle of all this isolation. And that's like, uh, that's his podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's, for me, that's kind of what this podcast is. I'm just kind of like pissing into the void to see if I can connect more with like normal mundane society and like find more connections, maybe like restore hope and faith and like the beauty of humanity in you know, small interactions. Cause you don't, it's not really there in the larger scheme. Obviously, most things are just stressful and terrifying about modern society. But you can like find resonance within other people, which I think is kind of the message of Death Stranding. This has been a quasi date watch update. Yeah, well, yeah, because like the <laughs> the loneliness and stuff is kind of getting to me this week. And then yeah, it has a lot to do with my personal philosophy, which is also it's, I guess it's inspired a lot by Camus. Which is, I mean, everyone, oh, Camus, that's like intro philosophy shit. But, no, it's not. <laughs> um, I just, so it's like, all right, so Camus' basic premise is like, all right, you got two options due to the absurd nature of reality. It's like suicide or you just choose to endure and enjoy it, which is absurdism, which is what I try to do most of the time. It's kept me going pretty much. There's a few close calls in like the last 15 years where I was like, well, maybe suicide, but um, you know, you just be Sisyphus, right? To the every man, blessed Sisyphus, slipping steadily into madness. How do you know you're not already there? I don't know. It's, <laughs> I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge about it. But it, uh, so that's things in the myth of Sisyphus. Eventually, Sisyphus comes to love his repetitive life, right? Because he just he finds a way to carry on. He finds a place. You know, you find your place in the world, and though it's repetitive and meaningless, it's kind of all you have. So you just kind of like smile your way through it. And then Death Stranding basically is like a Sisyphus simulator. <laughs> Did you smile your way through it at the end? Yeah. As soon as that's the thing is as soon as it opens up and like you're connect other players you're connecting with other players and building things together and changing the environment and it's getting easier to navigate and stuff like that, it's like, oh shit, I get it. That's the, so the first part where it's very confrontational and hard and frustrating, as soon as you get to that point where like Kojima like tips his hand to like what the game's actually about where it's like um you're the labor's not your own you know what I mean you're not alone it's like oh shit and like 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 stuff like that did make me smile I was like oh I get it this is I don't know maybe I'm an idiot but it was I have like a profound connection to it it's certain there's like sparks of like I don't think I shot enough people I um I unfortunately had to shoot a few uh mules the people that try to steal your target cargo at the very end of the game and it was like the first time i did it like actually because 
Um, it's the first time I killed anyone in the real world, right? And then uh, the, your BB like freaks out and it made me feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, after I played Metal Gear Solid Three the first time, I have I have never played another uh, Konima Konima game where I uh, intentionally went through trying to kill everybody. You know what I mean? I didn't, I've tried not to. <laughs> after uh, yeah, when you go down the river, yeah, yeah, and the, <laughs> all those guys are like, why? <laughs> Because the first time I did it, I'm like, holy shit, I killed so many people. That's just, yeah, Death Stranding. Um, I'm a lonely, isolated person. I'm, like, howling into the void, trying to find connection to this podcast. And I don't know, I just want to talk about that. Like, hopefully it'll relieve some of the pressure I've been feeling this week. So what you're really saying is you're kind of like um, a Martin Riggs character. Oh, <laughs> as far as Lethal Weapon goes, <laughs> I was thinking, as I was watching it, I was like, this movie's about me and Sean. Sean's family man who's getting too old for this shit i'm a crazy person (laughs) yeah so we watched lethal weapon with a holiday classic he's a criminal's worst nightmare a cop who enjoys the danger no guns no jujitsu just bring him down they really want to jump well then that's fine with me come on wait what do you mean wait a minute what the he was ready to retire now, he's gonna wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? <laughs> oh, too old for this. If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Uh, 1987. Uh, luckily, it's a little bit less than two hours because I did not have a great time with a lot of it. I really didn't. You know the story. Two newly paired cops who are complete opposites must put aside their differences in order to catch a gang of drug smugglers. They don't really have a lot of differences. Not, not at all. They're just cops. Yeah, I mean, really, the difference is that Riggs's wife has died and he's depressed about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't and have Murkow kids. Is just a good guy. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Uh, conflict. Oh man, <laughs> how how are they ever get ever get along? Oh, they're both Vietnam veterans and cops. Oh man, they these what what an odd couple. It's directed by Richard Donner. Uh, Richard Donner is actually well, yeah. Don't don't say Richard Donner like that. <laughs> oh well, he's. I mean, we'll talk about him now, but he's gonna be back in like a couple weeks. Are we watching so. Goonies? No. Superman? You'll see when Superman. we get there. Superman 2. He didn't so, really do the right Man, one. those aren't Christmas movies. We're <laughs> in December. We're watching Christmas movies. Kind of. So, Richard Donner, for those who don't know, don't know uh, he started off as a TV director, as all these guys did. Like, he's doing, he did everything in the 60s and 70s. Gun smoke and all that shit. Gun smoke. Then he just went out of control. He was doing The Omen, Superman. He did The Toy with Richard Pryor. Lady Hawk. The Goonies. <laughs> Scrooge, Lethal Weapon sequels. Um, Scrooged. Uh, he's also like almost ninety years old, and the last time he directed was only a couple of years ago. Some of these directors have a lot of energy for old ass men. Yeah, he's only credited as directing Superman, but originally they shot Superman one and two back to back, and then uh, they cut back on filming the sequel to focus on the first one for a Christmas release, and then a problem with the producers over the material. 
led Donner to being fired before he could finish filming the second one. And he was replaced with Richard Lester. Donner later estimated that he directed 80% of the sequel and saw about 50% of his work in the theatrical film. So that fucking sucks, right? Because yeah. everyone likes the first Superman and then it's steadily downhill from there, right? Yeah, people like the second one with Zod and shit, too. I think it's because oh, it's, it's a on. Superman versus another Superman. Yeah, but doesn't he throw off his insignia and it wraps around Zod? Like yeah, sticky it's fucking dumb. Goo? I don't know if that was a Donner invention or not. Uh, that might have been. But they uh, eventually Donner gets to go back and do his own cut of that Superman 2 movie. Yeah, there's a Donner cut of it. Uh, Release yeah. the Snyder cut. I haven't seen it. I don't care about Superman very much. Uh, I did read that DC is very unsure about how to make Superman relevant to modern audiences. I know how to do it. Make him uh, Red Sun. Superman. Red Sun. <laughs> make it about Soviet Russia. I mean, that's so stupid. Like he, He's a fucking immigrant, right? To, yeah. To fled from a, a dying planet in, uh, and fled to America for, uh, for refu- as a refugee, right? So there's, there's no, really no relevance to modern times. You honestly expect Warner Brothers DC to be able to write a nuanced approach to Superman that replicates the immigrant experience and not make it into a total joke? I, I, someone can do it. I don't know if I trust them. Yeah. Todd Phillips will do it. Oh, fuck. He'll do, um, let's see, what other Scorsese movie can he copy and put Superman I don't think in there's it? one that really fits the Superman one. All right, what other classic film exists about <laughs> the, the immigrant story that he can just insert <laughs> Boxcar Superman into? Boxcar Bertha. What a hack. Fucking hack. Billionaire hack. Now. They're going to make Joker 2. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That that one's going to be good, fellas. Joker. <laughs> He'll even narrate over it. <laughs> all my As life. I wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> all my life, all I wanted to be was a gangster. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's like in... The- oh, wait, all my life, all I wanted to be was a stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> That's like um in the Joker, the first one now, when he goes to the clown depot where all the clowns meet up to get their clown jobs. I think I, I saw that Bobcat Goldthwait movie. Well, no, it's just, <laughs> that scene's only in there because he directly copied the taxi driver. You know, the taxi yeah. drivers go to the depot to get their cars and shit. <laughs> clowns don't go to the clown, <laughs> the depot, clown depot to get their clown jobs you as know, a group. You call a fucking number and the, it's like an answering service at best that's, or someone's house. That's so fucking embarrassing that he did that and no one was like, you can't do this. What are you, the clown depot? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And people sat there in the theaters, <laughs> billions of dollars just sitting there like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, McClown Depot. McClown Depot. Not that he just basically, beat for beat, stole the screenplay from Taxi Driver. Nah. Nah, it's the Clown Depot. It makes sense. You ever been in the Clown Depot? <laughs> Fuck. Hey, I, gotta go down, I gotta go down to the Mime Annex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm psyched for the new Superman. Uh, he was also considered to direct Batman. Guess who he would have cast as Batman? Michael Keaton. No. Robin Williams. Who's he working with in this film that might be a Batman? Riggs? Mel Gibson. <laughs> I wanted to say Gary Busey for a second. Um, <laughs> here's a quote from Richard Donner about Mel Gibson. He says, uh, Mel Gibson is God's gift to a director, but he tells the worst jokes in the world. That was a shock. 
Which is pretty accurate. Remember that one time he got pulled over? Remember that joke he told about uh, the cop with sugar tits? Yeah. He was doing (laughs) all the juice. He was doing his five minutes, his stand-up routine, and the cops arrested him for him. (laughs) Like, these jokes suck. Ah, goddamn social justice warriors. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in this movie where, um, like, uh, when Murtaugh and Riggs, like, first get in the car together, and Murtaugh's like, ah, God must hate me. And Mel Gibson's like, well, hate him back. That's what I do. Mel Gibson doesn't hate God. He loves God. He just fucking hates the Pope and doesn't recognize him. <laughs> He's that weird, or I guess I should say weirder kind of Catholic where they like don't recognize the papacy after like the council of Nicaea. some, well, yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, one of the count, one of the councils, like the famous ecumenical councils, the Romans used to throw. Yeah. It's like a seemingly, um, a trending, uh, well, you know how in general people on the internet now are like, all right, here's the 10 bullet points about me, you know, to create their internet identity. Nope. Yeah, you do. Sure. Everyone's got themselves boiled down to like a short list. Mine, but, Mine's 12. I haven't got it down. Well, there's yet, like but. people that are uh, tradcath, traditional Catholic. Oh, my God. That's getting kind of popular on the internet. <laughs> fucking tradcath. Yeah, tradcath. I want, I want to punch you. And, um... <laughs> They're, they're. I do feel a little bit like Murtaugh right now. Like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They're basically the same thing, which is weird. But I, the world's falling apart. Everyone's falling back into these weird ideas because they're desperate. That's what always something. happens when shit goes awry. Like all these weird ideas crop up. That's why we said yeah. it before. But I, I'm, my, I'm concerned. I'm too old for this shit. I'm not concerned. It's just interesting and embarrassing. Um, he was gonna direct the Lost Boys as well. But I think a shoemaker was probably the right call. Yeah, because all those sexy boys. <laughs> Richard Donner wouldn't have been able to really showcase those sexy boys like Joel Schumacher. Production took too long to get started on Lost Boys, so he moved on to Lethal Weapon. He was the producer on Lost Boys, and he's like, yo, Joel Schumacher, get in there. And in this film, Lethal Weapon, you notice when they're outside the theater, you see what's playing at the theater? Lost Boys. Lost Boys. It says uh, 1987's biggest hit. Why does Lethal Weapon take place at Christmas time? Do you think? Why not? I honestly, uh, I just I'm Shane Black. Every movie I make is set at Christmas. Yep, there you go. That's <laughs> right. Shane Black wrote this movie, and he fucking loves Christmas. Every movie has Christmas in it, or some shit. Honestly, I, I really feel like uh, he went forward in time and listened to John Favreau talk about Elf, and he's like, "You got to make a Christmas movie because that's where the real money is." because <laughs> every year they bring it back up and you you get you get a residual check for that and look at john favreau now he's like going to be the boss of star wars right <laughs> i mean could do worse i think that you telling me that chubby schmuck from swingers is like the <laughs> king of star wars what the fuck what about his friend vince vaughn he's the new c3po <laughs> ig88 played by vince vaughn <laughs> All right, so Shane Black, he loves Christmas. Who's who's Vince Vaughn's uh, manager or agent? Because fuck, he's hired. I want him. Jeffrey Epstein. Never mind. <laughs> he's dead. You can't have him because. Well, he's but he didn't kill himself, dead. Kyle. You know, the Clintons. I think that's what the internet's trying to tell me. It was the Clintons. It was the Clintons. No, it was the Clantons. The Clanton <laughs> Brothers from Tombstone. <laughs> oh, shit. So, nerds on the internet will know him for his recent films that he's wrote and directed. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, and The Predator. 
He was in the original Predator. He was the guy with the glasses that like dies right away. He doesn't fit in with them because he just looks like a regular ass actor. It's like, why did they bring this small white boy with them? Because <laughs> yeah, someone needed to watch the director is yeah. the answer. Uh, he also wrote Last Action Hero, Monster Squad. I think we talked about him in Monster Squad because he's Shane Black. What a dork. He was a real hot commodity at one point. Um, That's what one day we hope to be. A real hot quantity. Real hot get dropped right quick. Yeah, like he had he had like the highest selling screenplay of all time for The Long Kiss Goodnight for like $4 million. What's the highest it, uh, spec script or just? I guess. I think Night's Tale might be the highest selling spec script right now. Yeah, but Long Kiss Goodnight came out like 1992. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he walked off Lethal Weapon 2 because he wanted, wanted the film to end with Martin Riggs dying from his wounds. Warner Brothers wanted to continue the series and have him survive. As a result, his script was rewritten. Lethal Weapon 2 had Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. If he was in Lethal Weapon 1, I could have watched four Joe Pesci movies this week. That would be too much Joe Pesci. Yeah, you can't have too much Pesci. You'd have Joe Pesci overload. You'd have mercury poisoning. <laughs> Pesci poisoning? Yeah, because Pesci's... It's got something to do with fish, right? <laughs> uh, No matter what... The, how many drafts they wrote, how much they worked on it. Richard Donner thought that Shane Black's original script was way too dark for his liking. So they brought in some other dude who did uncredited rewriting. So they added some more funny stuff and made it so it wasn't so dark. And so you got bland 1987 buddy cop movie that every action movie that comes after it is going to try to cop in. <laughs> There's so many dumb, like, tropes and cliches that you can tell started with this movie. I just, before we get into too much of that. Then they made Tango and Cash. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Tango and Cash is great. I don't know. You you won't speak ill of Tango or Cash. What's going on with the soundtrack? Like, someone was just like, yeah, smooth jazz. Eric Clapton, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Clapton was like, yeah, smooth jazz. I actually kind of like the soundtrack because of how cheesy it is. No, it's fucking heavy-handed as shit. It's just like... Sexy guitar whales and sad saxophone. They lampoon it pretty well in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. When they make <laughs> Lethal Weapon 5. Or uh, what was the uh, National Lampoon's movie? What? Hot Shots? Hot sh- oh, Hot Shots. Was that, that the one after? That was Hot Shots Part 2 was making fun of Top Gun, but Hot mm-hmm. Shots was just making fun of Lethal Weapon, right? No, I think it's the opposite. Hot oh, Shots was making fun of Top Gun, and then Hot Shots Part 2 was just making fun of action movies in general. Um, so, listen to this dumb shit. You ready? Yeah. The part of Shane Black's final script that made Warner Brothers fall in love with the project was apparently a descriptive line during the sequence where Riggs tries to track down Joshua after killing the torturers and rescuing Murta and his daughter, involving a car crash caused by Joshua. This Man, that's line. a long fucking sentence, IMDb. Okay, what's the line? All right, the line was, and the car's trade paint. That's it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not astute literary critics at Warner Brothers. Well, cars trade paint. That's good. That means they crash. But he said it different. <laughs> Let's make it a movie. Man, if that's what it takes. <laughs> we got some poetic shit in our screenplays. Most of it involves alien guts. Yeah, I try to be pretty straightforward with the eyes. Like, what if Hemingway was a screenwriter? That's my style. <laughs> Check it out, though. Speaking of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Bruce Willis was considered for the role of Riggs, but turned it down. He became John McClane in Die Hard after Mel Gibson turned it down to do Lethal Weapon. Oh! Whoa! Oh. Whoa! Wasn't one of the Die Hard movies originally written as a Lethal Weapon sequel? Die Hard 3, maybe? Is that the one with Sam Jackson? 
Wait, hold on. Die Hard. No, it's one of the. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's the one with Sam Jackson, but I could be wrong. That's Die Hard three, right? I think so. I don't remember. Yeah, one of them was originally written for Lethal Weapon and became Die Hard. It might be Die Hard 2, actually. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Both series are pretty dumb. I don't know why they kept making any of them. You know what Lethal Weapon 4? Chris Rock? Jet Li's in it. Oh, man. That's what kicked off Jet Li's American career. Introducing Jet Li. During pre-production, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover shadowed LAPD officers and Richard Donner consulted the <laughs> Los the Angeles County for? Sheriff's Department to ensure an authentic portrayal of the police force. Danny Glover barely made it out alive. <laughs> Get it? Because the LAPD kills black people or cops in general. They uh, they say that in the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's like... Uh, People now are like, why are people so disrespectful to the police? The blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you fucking, no one's liked the cops for years. You've just been living in your stupid white suburban bubble. Like, no one fucking likes cops. They kill people. <laughs> They're out here shooting people. Yeah, those kids are cute as fuck, too. The best part of the movie. I, became with the I was like, glasses. man, let's just watch a movie about these kids. It'd basically be like little rascals. But <laughs> probably be pretty cool. Uh, you have uh, Roger Ebert. To thank for the success of this film. <sighs> so apparently when he and Gene Siskel reviewed it on their show, Ebert raved about it. He said the film thrilled me from beginning to end. It was a great action film and a well-written drama. He gave it four stars in his written review. I don't, believe, I don't agree with any of that. Yeah, the, the drama is really... They got, people need to take Ebert off this pedestal. He didn't know he was talking about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he can't always be right. Yeah. What did Cisco have to say? He said, no one cares what I say. <laughs> um, that fall at the beginning of the film when um, uh, Hans, Hansucker, Hansucker. <laughs> Hansucker? Yeah. The Tom Atkins. Da- what, uh, what, Tom A- Atkins daughter. Yeah. Thrill me. <laughs> no, you're thrilling me too much. <laughs> when she jumps off the building. Oh, yeah. You ruined the surprise, but Tom Atkins is back. Oh, shit. Sorry. He's back, baby. Tom Atkins, star of the show. <laughs> Fucking 20th appearance on VHS Colony. <laughs> yeah. He'll be in more. He's Tom Atkins, baby. Uh, she actually did that high fall on her own. They uh, and She died? No, they used an airbag that was painted to look like the driveways in the car so that they could film it like as long as possible. Oh, wow. Cool. Which I think is pretty cool. And yeah, she got trained to do the stunt and then she did it. That's basically the coolest thing about the movie. <laughs> so I've always had um this memory of a movie scene where it's a slight, sort of like topless woman standing on the edge of a balcony like that and then like falling off. And I could never remember what it was from. Lethal Weapon. And it's, we, I started watching and I was like, oh shit, it's Lethal Weapon. Because <laughs> uh, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. I remember thinking as a kid, like, does cocaine make you want to jump off of balconies? Well, that's what I was thinking at first when I was watching it too, because I forgot like the, oh, it's actually Ajax. I was like, what? I've never been like, I've never done cocaine and been like, all right, well, here we go. And she's all like stumbly and like out of it. So that's not what happens when you're on cocaine. Also, the saddest thing in the world is to just be by yourself doing cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to hear some crazy Mel Gibson stuff? Sure, let's have some more. The scene where he's uh, contemplating getting very close to doing doing a suicide, doing a die. Uh, he's got the gun in his mouth and at his head. Uh, Mel Gibson insisted that there was a blank in the chamber for a greater sense of 
danger. Realis- realism and drama. So they still could have killed him. Yeah, because it was that close to your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they killed Brandon Lee. Yeah, Mel Gibson's kind of crazy. Did you know that? <laughs> I've had uh, some hints through the years. Some, some subtle hints. Uh, what is, uh, I just like, want to know the like, people that have worked with Mel Gibson more than once. Like, What's George Miller say about Mel Gibson? I think he has some good things to say about him, but I'm guessing Mel Gibson. Like Robert Downey Jr. seems to love Mel Gibson. A lot of people like Mel Gibson. Uh, I, the, the defense that's always purported for him is, uh, well, he's an alcoholic and he's bipolar, so sometimes he falls off the wagon and does crazy shit. And it's like, well, as I talked about previously at the beginning of this podcast, I was an alcoholic and I definitely have brain problems, but I've never, so I, I will absolutely admit that like there's times I've been drunk and I've gotten mean and like aggressive and stuff, but I've never been racist. Never said crazy racist shit or like misogynist shit or I've never like hurt people close. To, you know what I mean? Like never any of that wild shit. So it's still kind of like Mel Gibson, kind of might be a racist dickhead. <laughs> You just can't blame it all on the alcohol and bipolar. Who knows? I don't know if I'm like you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe his bio, maybe he's like completely normal when he's uh, when he's on his meds, and then bipolar makes him racist. Yeah, yeah I, I mean like, that's probably what happened. Well, the, Kanye stopped taking his medication and became racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the first movie to show a modern cell phone. What did you think of it? That uh, giant car battery Murtaugh was carrying around. <laughs> I think it was a way of the future. Well, you would be right. I, they will literally go on in Lethal Weapon 4 to make a joke about how small cell phones are getting. Oh, they do? Yeah. Hmm. You don't remember Chris Rock and Joe Pesci talking about it? I, don't, I remember uh, Chris Rock going, I, I, I never lost my mama's phone. <laughs> I don't remember any of the Lethal Weapons. I, I don't, that one, I, I don't know why I remember that. I remember seeing you it. You don't in, remember the racist uh, jokes that Riggs makes a lot in Lethal Weapon 4? Oh, he makes them in this one, too. <laughs> That's true. He also uses the F word. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they're at the shooting gallery, right? And they're like putting it together. Like maybe Dixie was the one there with uh, the victim, Dixie, the female process, female sex worker. Um, and they're like, well, maybe it was Dixie who was in bed with her, not a man. And he goes, ah, oh, disgusting. Which is like, man, what a level of homophobia! It's like not even at that shitty level of homophobia where it's like, well, lesbians are hot. <laughs> it's like even below that where it's just like, ah, oh, disgusting. <laughs> I was like, wow, the 80, 87, huh? <laughs> when the four kids are asking Murtaugh, they're like, hey, uh, our mom, my mom says cops shoot black people. You shoot black people? And he's just, Riggs is just laughing about it in the background. He's like, yeah, yeah we shoot black people. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was like a cutting edge joke at the time for mainstream audience. Because this is before like um, the Rodney King beating in the L.A. riots. Which was a major turning point for police brutality, and everything changed after that. It got a lot better. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah. Ever since then, people have definitely listened to the black community about the problems of the police. So, what do you think of Lethal Weapon? I don't ever intend to watch it again. No, uh, we'll probably watch more of the other one. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. It's uh, I just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, December, so I was like, we'll watch Christmas movies, but I don't want to watch Christmas movies. I don't want to watch a bunch of good, like, <laughs> straightforward Christmas movies. So, well, Lethal Weapon takes place around Christmas. I know that Shane Black asshole wrote it, so <laughs> we'll watch that. I haven't seen it in a long time. It is not good, man. I can't believe this was, like, a hit. 
it, it like inspired and influenced other people. It's like this I is not a good movie. Started an entire fucking genre of buddy cop movies. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you have like the twenty four hours before this, or forty eight hours, forty eight hours, even. which hopefully is better when we watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's so thin and flimsy. I think a lot of it has to do with the the Richard Donner not being willing to commit to what the screenplay actually was, because I have a feeling it was just going to be a dark, like violent, like action movie. Which would have been a lot better than like this kind of like, oh, violence is a joke. Cops, huh? <laughs> Cops have fun. Oh. Let's end the movie with a karate fight under a fire hydrant. I actually kind of like that because I was like, yeah, this is pretty Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking stupid. Like they race back. They somehow beat the guy back there. They let him kill two guys in a patrol car just so they can lay a stupid trap in their house. I don't. I don't. Don't think they let the two guys die. I think they just well, they, weren't there in time. But they had time to go inside and write a note and leave it on a tree and get all of uh, of Murtaugh's family out. Yeah, you're right. They let those guys die. <laughs> <laughs> and they just drove a car through his his front door and like, all right, now Riggs, go out there and karate fight him. <laughs> <laughs> I like Murtaugh too. He's like, no, nah, let him fight. I take full responsibility. Get him, kid. You forty year old kid. <laughs> That's the thing, too. How old is Riggs supposed to be in this movie? He fought in Vietnam. It's 1987. Well, his wife died, and she was 35 when she died, right? And so that was, yeah. And that was 84, and this is a couple years later. So he's got to be close to 40. Oh, okay. Plus, he fought in Vietnam. Right, yeah. In 69. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure he's at least 18 and 69. Yeah. So he's, he's pushing 40. Fucking kid. <laughs> Get him, kid. And then he's like this flirting. This fucking Donald Trump's definition and of a kid. Uh, my, my good boy, Donald Trump Jr. He's such a sweet little boy. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, the stuff with um, Riggs and Murtaugh's daughter. Fucking creepy. Yeah, that's fucking creepy as yeah, shit. Yeah, that's so fucking weird. Especially a <laughs> 40-year-old man. Hey, 16-year-old girl. I don't, I don't think he was into the girl, into her. I think, she, you know what I mean? Don't they, like, start dating later on? Do they? In the series? I could have sworn that's, like, what happened. No, he, in the Lethal Weapon 4, she's in the Chris Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. It was pretty weird, man. Well, it, it is kind of weird that, like, her boyfriend gets killed and she doesn't seem to be bothered by it. <laughs> well, she doesn't like him that much. He's got dimples and blonde hair. Ugh, what is he, Zach Morris? Oh. <laughs> you just described my youngest son. He doesn't have blonde hair. It's like dirty blonde. I guess he does have blonde hair. Interesting. He's like the only, just our sister and him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your son's not a dork. This guy sounded like a dork because Murtaugh said he was a dork. <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's, he's just like, a dad, so he's, he's like, everybody's dating. Nah, that guy's a dork. A dork. <laughs> he's, no, he said, that guy's a dork. He doesn't even listen to Black Flag. <laughs> and Riggs is like, he's right. He doesn't listen to Black Flag. Henry Rowland speaks to me. The Iron never lies. Gary Busey, what do you think? I'm going to eat that son of a rhinoceros right now. <laughs> Gary Busey's cool in this movie. I was like, damn, I'm glad Buddy Holly still has a career. Because <laughs> his career is floundering. As it, he seemed to have cycles of his career floundering. Is this before or after the motorcycle accident that made him a crazy person? I think it's after, isn't it? Really? That's Yeah, because it happened pretty early in his career. This is like over time, he just got so much worse. What do you think of the cool action fight scene in the desert? Yeah, boring shit. Mm-hmm. I've, when I first was getting there, I was like, damn, this is going to be a cool uh, set piece and blah, blah, blah. But now they just stand around cars and get shot. Why was there a limo? Because these are rich drug dealers and they drive around in limos. As conspicuous know, as possible. You know you're going to the middle of a fucking desert. Why are you bringing a limo? Yeah, why wouldn't they roll out there in, like, Jeeps? Or <laughs> they had a helicopter, buggy. too. So 
Yeah, why was there so many of them? And what was their plan even? It was just a shooting gallery. <laughs> and fucking the old man sneaks up on Riggs. And he's like, gotcha, Riggs. Why? Shouldn't have that been Gary Busey or something? <laughs> the old man was such an afterthought. You know yeah, what I mean? it's like we need two bad guy figures. And what was it? So Tom Atkins was also in Vietnam. Yeah, with with Murtaugh. With Murtaugh, but also with somehow with these other Shadow Company. Yeah. Because he got involved, got the heroin trade coming. Then he wanted to back out and they killed his daughter. And, uh, up, yeah. and he was like, all right, well, don't kill my other daughter. And they're like, cool. We love heroin. We need the bank. I don't know. It's fucking dumb. It was some 80s cop bullshit. Still talking about Vietnam? 87? <laughs> Get over that shit. <laughs> uh, what was that scene, too, in the, earlier in the film when, uh, very early in the film, Murtaugh comes in before he meets Riggs, and that guy's talking to him like, oh, this is, we're men in the 80s. We're emotional now. I was crying in the bed because I was alone. Oh, shit. What the fuck know. is that scene supposed to be for? I, I don't know anymore. Also, the I do, never would consider the 80s a great pinnacle in like healthy masculinity. <laughs> like what are they talking about say <laughs> 80s now man come on we just all we do now is grow from at the club we're not straight raping anymore <laughs> get with the times come on you know get a little cocaine in them first come on come on it's the 80s come on. feel guilty about it a little afterwards but you know you do it again you should power over them why not come on it's men the are, implication yeah men are stronger you know this is the way of the world. It's natural. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard someone say it. Make that argument before. Oh, really? Rape's good because of the natural world? Because, <laughs> you know, men are naturally powerful. <laughs> yeah, I think we're supposed to, like, hunt and shit, though. Not hunt women. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> farm. <laughs> Jeez, people are fucking dumb. God damn it. I'm too old for this shit. Speaking of dumb people, you know what I fucking hate? On IMDb, I hate when you go to the trivia or like the, you know, shit like that. All the insider in extra info about a movie. And it's a movie that unfortunately had guns in it. And you get to see fucking paragraphs. About what type of guns? About guns. So let me read to you about guns. The rifle Riggs uses in the desert is a $10,000 Heckler and Coke PSG one marksman rifle. Made in then West Germany. At the time, it was one of only two specimens in civilian hands in the United States. Producers wanted cutting-edge firearms in the movie, and the PSG-1 was borrowed from Bumblebee Wholesale, a Transformer, (laughs) a famous gun store in Los Angeles. The rifle normally comes with its own unique tripod wraps, but it was not yet shipped with the gun, so Prom Masters welded the Harris bipod on. The production had to pay for the full value of the rifle. All right, you want to hear an even worse one? That one's pretty bad. Yeah, what? that one's... <laughs> we, what, how much, what kind of bullets does it fire? Did it say I wasn't paying attention? No, but here's the, some cool facts about bullets. Are you ready? Yep. Rick says he's thinking, he thinks hollow about point, eating a bullet and that he has a special bullet for the occasion with uh, a hollow point when talking to Murtaugh after he brings the jumper down. But the bullet he uses earlier in the movie when he's contemplating suicide is not a hollow point, but a full metal jacket round. No one with any knowledge of firearms was would use a full metal jacket round to commit suicide. Oh, really? 
Yeah, you think they're going to be like, well, uh, I'm going to shoot myself, but I better not use this full metal jacket. I need a hollow point. You really? <laughs> <laughs> no one contemplating suicide would ever do that. Kyle, I just I need to point something out. First of all, I know a lot about guns, right? And then I need to tell you about how much I know about guns. And then mm-hmm. I need to make everybody feel uh, bad about how little they know about guns and realize how great I am for knowing what I know about guns. I mean, you can be with anything. It doesn't necessarily be guns. It's all knowledge. I'm sure we've yeah. done it a couple times on this podcast. But, yeah, uh, I don't that's know. That's pretty bad. That's real bad. I just like, hey, man, does your dick work? Does your wife like you? What's the deal? Cause I understand guns as a utility. I'm not like super like anti-gun, liberal, performative, guns rights bullshit. I don't know. But it's also like people that are hell into guns like that. I'm like, there's. I know there's something wrong with you. Like, well, fucking, you feel weak all the time, don't you? Yes. You yes, scared? Why are you so scared all the time? Life's not that scary. Because there's colors. All these damn colors around. They just want to be fucking Martin Riggs. Yeah. PTSD I mean- survivor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so oh, I think we mentioned this before in whatever other fucking action movie we talked about where they had to bring in Vietnam because oh, it was the house. Oh, uh, yeah. How um, people were kind of like aware. Hey, something's wrong with these Vietnam vets. I don't know what it is, though. But like they weren't like no one was willing to talk about like the horrors of war and PTSD and stuff. They're just kind of like, yeah, these Vietnam vets are weird. Let's put it in the movie. Makes them all psycho killers. <laughs> oh, I, or I, I, I mean, I have to say like the, by the 80s or like towards the end of the 80s for sure. Like PTSD was something that was kind of well started known. to be talked about. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, the, I don't know. It was you still a few years before, you know, uh, you go over that. Just get over it, you fucking pussy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's they're definitely not going to bring it up in like the Warner Brothers funded action movie, I guess. No. If uh, Riggs started having a flashback in the desert when he's shooting a sniper rifle and freaking out, I don't think that makes a good a good action movie, buddy cop action movie, does it? No. Well, that's the whole thing is this movie uh, Riggs is crazy because his wife dies, not because. <laughs> there's a scene where he's peeking out behind his truck and he's like yeah i shot like this dude like downwind blah blah he's just talking about how it was an awesome shot not that he killed someone at 19 <laughs> and then it's oh yeah it's because his wife died yeah that i mean he's crazy because his wife died none of that other shit he did in vietnam fucked him up at all nah no way no that was cool yeah that was all good shit there's only probably one or two guys that can make that maybe maybe 10 that 10 was guys good tops that's good shit it made him a good cop right it just made him stronger Nah, it's just because his wife died. No big deal. Murtaugh's fine. <laughs> if I was going to rewrite Lethal Weapon opening scenes, exactly the same. Murtaugh's still in the bath. His kids come in, surprise him for his birthday. But when they come in, the surprise... He's got to shoot. <laughs> yeah, it triggers flashbacks, and he's like, ah! Um, his wife can't cook. Yeah, that's a funny joke. Yeah. Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, once again, living my dream life in a trailer, trailer, trailer. with a dog. Uh, his like was dirty dog. though. I think I would keep mine. The dog clean. was not dirty. The dog was beautiful. Yeah, his trailer was dirty though. You keep your trailer clean in that. Mm-hmm. Well, he's in the middle of a pit of depression. Yeah, because his wife died. I mean, it would get you for sure. But also, I think the Vietnam stuff would also kind of would be a factor. They even talked to a psychologist, and she's like, "Yeah, it's only because of his wife and nothing else." Before that. He was the greatest killer the cops had ever seen. <laughs> you better watch out. He's known for killing black guys. <laughs> I 
Marion Cabretti type. Uh, when he's getting tortured at the end, what does he call the Chinese American man? <laughs> uh, I don't remember. I'm not sure. I, well, I, I guess I'll say it. I'm not sure. I'm going to say it because I need to walk you through the experience I had. So they hadn't shown uh, this guy who's going to torture him yet on screen. And I should have looked up his name because he's actually like famously in he's a lot of action movies. Yeah. He's off screen and Mel Gibson or Riggs goes, who's the chin? I think is what he says. And that's what I heard. And I thought. I heard chin. But oh, I thought he said chin. And I was thinking like Jay Leno looking ass is going to come. <laughs> <in this one. laughs> like there's going to be some big. Oh, hey guys, me over here. Well, just like some big lantern jaw fool. Because he's like, who's the chin? Bruce and, Campbell walks on. Yeah. And then it was that guy. And I was like, oh, he's being racist. <laughs> <laughs> are you looking at sugar tits <laughs> that is an acceptable level of racism in the 80s though I guess right yep of course it was and into the 90s because Lethal Weapon 4 came out like 1996 right yeah 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 <laughs> hmm Jack Nicholson was racist in The Departed but it kind of makes sense because he's not the hero y- yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's about gangsters <laughs> not good people which is uh, Irishman it's not supposed to be about good people. You're not supposed to be like cheering for Frank Sheeran and the boys. That's why they don't need to act like good people in the movie. You can stop. What do you mean? I was cheering for uh, Pacino and Casino and uh, Pacino's not in Casino. I'm sorry. Pesci. Pesci. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know I'm terrible. Yeah. And uh, not to mention the fucking Goodfellas. Oh yeah, man. Ever since I was born, all I wanted to be he was, was a, a gangster. Fucking gangster. Henry Hill, hell yeah, man. If you listen to him talk in real life, too, the real Henry Hill, those interviews with him, you're like, hmm, now that's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, the big argument is, well, the Anna Paquin's in it, and she barely says any lines. Well, there should be more female representation. Well, no, it's about how these guys fucking suck, and Frank Sheeran alienated himself from his family because he fucking sucks. No, Kyle, you got to put ladies in there. Yeah, performative bullshit. God damn it. Just watch the movie and understand it. Doesn't need to spell it out for you. For everything, can you imagine if like people got their way? It was like, oh, it'd just be a bunch of nice people being nice to each other all the time. What an exciting, thrilling movie. They'd have to call that shit something like Avengers. <laughs> I don't even think Avengers had just nice people being nice to each other. I mean, they do, and then the only threat is some otherworldly non-being, so it can be separated from any like actual interpersonal conflict. <laughs> You're being like real nitpicky, but all right, I'll let it slide. <laughs> Stop supporting the Marvel movies. You know, I'm just fucking the same people that are angry at Marvel movies right now in like the fucking 50s would be like, there's too many westerns in the theaters right now. Like you, fuck that would have been me too. Yeah. I'm tired of westerns. But you know what? I'm just telling you, like, you, I'm sorry that movies aren't made for you, and they never have been. Yeah, but I want to complain about them. <laughs> Movies are a fucking business. I don't know what to fucking tell you guys. Just deal with it or, you know, shut the fuck up. Well, no, I just want to keep complaining about how bad they are so maybe less people will go see them. Because I, can, I can already tell, like, the tide's turned and people are finally catching up with me. There's more and more people. <laughs> I don't think so. More and more people are at least speaking out like, hey, maybe nah, this, this shit's kind of goofy. <laughs> this shit's kind of... Martin Scorsese said, he said, this shit's kind of goofy, He's guys. always talk like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm in good company. I'm in Goodfellas company. 
That's like someone bringing up the Alan Moore quote from like three fucking years ago. Oh, yeah. Why did they bring it up? Just because it was his birthday? It was his birthday. <laughs> like, hey, it's Alan Moore's birthday. Let's bring up a quote where he makes fun of everybody. Accurately. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of misguided. Oh, we talked about that I last we week. Last yeah. The Mandalorian's bad now? Yes. That's what the internet says. Well, that's another one. Like, I remember people complaining there were enough ladies in that, too. Oh, really? Yeah. But then they did have ladies in it. And Bryce Dallas Howard directed it. Yeah. And it wasn't a very good episode. Mm-hmm. Not, it didn't have anything to do with the female characters or anything. It just nah, was, it's kind of bland as well. It was just, yeah, it just seemed like um, like a goofy... Oh, this, it it just didn't seem like a... I mean, it's a TV show, so it's always going to happen. But it's like a part of the story that I didn't need to see. Yeah, it like, just happened. It seemed like um, an episode of a cartoon rather than the continuation of yeah. a western. So maybe it'll just be those that three episode arc was good, and you could just not watch the Mandalorian anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Except they're already filming season two, I think, right? Yeah, that's what I heard. That's all right. People are watch it just like the stupid Marvel movies. They don't they don't fucking make money forever. It'll be stars until we'll be talking about stars and Marvel until we die. Just like Batman and Superman. Buttman and Stupid Man. Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. And the Muppets. Those lovable Muppets. Wow, the Muppets are way younger than all of the things you just mentioned. No, the Muppets have been around since... um 70s? No, 1600s. <laughs> it was The Muppets exist eternally, actually. Jim Henson was just the, the most recent like avatar of the Muppets who was able to communicate <laughs> with the gods and the Muppets. Uh, it's a puppet storyline, isn't it? <laughs> he brought them to Earth. Yeah, you see what I was doing there? Because <laughs> he's a puppet master. <laughs> the Muppet Master, if you will. Man, Donald Sutherland. We need to make that movie The Muppet Master. Do you think... You remember well, that? I said I had some things to pitch to Disney Plus about Muppets. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they made that shitty Happy Time Town Murders or whatever. Oh, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, but we can do that sort of thing, but make it good. And I, I, I legitimately wanted to make a, an adult Muppet movie, but not one that was just like, dick humor. I thought it would be cool if it was a murder mystery, but it was also just like... <laughs> and then you saw... <laughs> also, Muppets have their titties out. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs. And I was like, well, this is like... Did, did fucking Trey Parker and Matt Stone write this? <laughs> nope. Worse than that. Someone just really liked Trey Parker and Matt Stone. <laughs> <laughs> One of their disciples, huh? They've done so much for writing. I guess that'll do it for VHS Cult this week. What are we watching next week? We're watching Better Off Dead. Better Off Ted? No, Better Off Dead. Better Off Ted was a dumb show on USA Network, right? Yeah. It spent about $5 on it, and they had, like, knockoff, um, I don't know. There's some dude with dark hair that was, like, a dweeb. $2! <laughs> yeah, watch Better Off Dead. It's, um, got John Cusack in it. it takes place at Christmas time, too. I wasn't aware of that. I would consent. But we're gonna watch it. And it'll be fun. Hopefully better than Lethal Weapon. I remember like Better Off Dead. Who knows at this point. I thought Lethal Weapon was going to be kind of cool, but no. Maybe you were thinking of the second one. I just kind of wanted to watch an action movie. And it's not even really an action. It's not a good action movie. And it's not a good comedy. And it's not a good drama. Should have watched Tango and Cash. I'm telling you, Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell's in it. I mean, this, po- this podcast is basically made for Kurt Russell. So <laughs> It's our love letter to Kurt Russell. Russell, please appear on the podcast. Everyone else, go to McVentureProductions.com. Give us some donations. Tell us you love us. Falling apart. <laughs> Send us your, your Christmas cards. <laughs> Hopefully. Hey, loving missus. 
Ah, oh, jeez. I want um, I want uh, haikus uh, about feet for Christmas. About feet. About feet. About feet. Oh, uh, this movie started off with the not exactly a nightgown, but you know, nice oh. like negligee. Like a titty picture, yeah. shall I mean? Yeah. So that was fine. That was. It's VHS Cult approved. VHS Cult.